HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn more about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, People of Color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org slash B-I-Z. This is What Doesn't Kill You Food Industry Insights. I'm your host, Katie Kiefer. Today I am on the Emma Acres Farm in Exeter, Rhode Island, and I'm chatting with uh, two young dairy farmers, Jessica Mayhew, and uh, uh, Maggie um, uh, Maggie Laprise, sorry, I got confused by your fact that your sister wasn't. Anyway, never mind. That's just the way I roll here. Incoherent. As soon as I start rolling, I can't figure out what to say. So both of you two have grown up in the dairy business. I know Jessica, your family has kind of moved on beyond that for many of the same reasons that many other dairy farmers have gone out of business. And Maggie, you are lucky enough to still be operating pretty much. I guess, the way your family has operated for a couple of generations now, right? Um, actually, we this farm's first generation. My parents bought the property in the 90s, oh, and no way. it has kind of just gone on since then. But my mom did grow up on a dairy farm, but she wasn't back then. It was kind of just like, well, I don't want to do farming, so I'm just going to go off. And then she still got stuck <laughs> doing farming. <laughs> I kind of think it works that way more often than one would like to think. It's like eventually you just go back, yeah, because it is what you know. So let's start with let's house business. How are you doing? How Um, is Emma Acres doing during the pandemic? So the store itself, which we opened in October, it definitely like boomed right as the pandemic was happening. I guess it's like um, I don't know blessing in disguise. I don't think that's the words I'm looking for, but um, we got a lot of new customers because they didn't want, they were scared to go into the grocery store. The grocery store didn't have what they needed and they found that local farmers did. But then so many people found out about us that we started to sell out of things very quickly. Um, But then in regards to the actual dairy itself, there's been a lot of changes happening there. Like what? So um, we had a quota that was implemented and 
March, everyone was making large amounts of milk. Like, I mean, they've been doing it for years, but it seems like March, everyone spiked in there. Mm-hmm. And then there was no um, restaurants and schools. They were all right. not in session, I guess. And we, the whole business quickly had to s- switch from that wholesaling type thing to all retail and processors couldn't keep up with the demands that was needed because retail like buying a gallon of milk in the grocery store is only a very small percentage of what our milk usually goes to right um but then so we had all this extra milk that we didn't we were dumping farmers were having to dump in their fields up in vermont one of the first um cabot dairy farmers that had to dump their milk is a very good friend of mine up in vermont and then they were like, all right, here's your base that you can make. And if you make more than that, you have to pay us money for shipping it for you to oh, basically wow. yeah. get rid of it. So that's the first time that sort of supply controls have been implemented on the dairy industry in many, many years, as yes. far as I know, right? Um, well, back in January 1st, um, every farmer was given a quota. It was their three-year kind of, uh, was it their average or, their average. or whatever their highest number within the three years? With the conventional market, though, because organic the organic market operates on a quota system. Right. But with the organic market, you have to have a convent. You also have to be able to sell onto the conventional market. So with the organic farmers, they make their quota. But then if they go over their quota, they have to, it'll get sold onto the conventional market. Sure. Basically, what adding on to the already right. overflow of the conventional market. And pushing those prices yeah. down. For, for the, the conventional guy. Yeah, right, exactly. So so that was one of the questions I had was, like, how much the pandemic had had an impact on you in terms of whether you were a consumer, mm-hmm. direct-to-consumer, retail, you know, focus, or whether it's more of an institutional. Just to give us an idea, what's your ballpark? How many gallons of milk do you produce a week? Um, or should I say pounds? I think I'm supposed to say pounds. It's pounds, yeah. So we pick up our milk trucks here every other day, and I know, I guess it could be some quick math, like for what's two days worth... 2,400 is max on what we can make right now. Okay. Um, and well, our last pickup, I want to say, was like uh, 23 or so. Hundreds, so then multiply that by right whatever. So that's every other day. That's so that's every close other to day. A thousand pounds of milk a week. Yeah, basically. Well, no, no, right? no, no, no. Every other day. Oh, sorry. Four hundred pounds every other day. Yeah. So if you're shipping twenty three hundred pounds every other day, so you're, that's three times a week yeah. essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So twenty. So it's it's like it's seventy five. Twenty three hundred times seven thousand five hundred. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of milk. Yeah. And people yeah. don't really drink that much milk anymore, right? Uh, no, Not the like fluid to. consumption has definitely gone down, and people are more turning for their how they get their dairy is yogurt and cheese. And mm-hmm. we sell a lot of ice cream in the store. You do. Um, like, so much so, I'm waiting for people to say, I'm not eating anymore because I need to be healthy. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, as soon as I eat it, I wear it on the front of my body immediately. So <laughs> I'm one of those people that, mm, I, I love ice cream. <laughs> A little too foods, much. But yeah, yeah. So what about federal uh, assistance? Did you guys, you know, the CFAP program and, you know, all of the federal programs that have been rolled out to help farmers. How, how much has that uh, 
you know, had an impact on you, or has it been so difficult to navigate that you haven't even bothered to apply? So I know there's the CARES Act. Yes. And a friend of ours in New Hampshire has been, like, blowing up Facebook, posting about, like, make sure you get your CARES Act Act money. money So then my um, dad called our Secretary of Agriculture and was like, is that supposed to be coming to us? And he said that there's a portion that will be going back to dairy farms and probably Mm -hmm. just farmers in general, and we have to watch out for when the paperwork gets sent in the mail from the Farm Service Agency, because then they'll roll out our payments, basically, is how that works. But it will... I have a feeling it's going to be a while before we get any. I've heard that it's the paperwork is extremely complex, particularly for smaller farmers, <laughs> and that that's one of the reasons why a lot of farms are just opting not to even apply. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but they're opting not to apply because it's kind of like not enough money to justify all of the hoops they have to jump through. But I don't know that for sure. But the program, if I'm not mistaken, is called CFAP, C-F-A-P. And, of course, I've forgotten what that acronym stands mm-hmm. for, but you can look it up. <laughs> And um, see what the guidelines are for how do you, how you apply. Because um, I mean, if you wait around for the Farm Services Administration to, <clears throat> yeah, that could be a while. <laughs> so to go back to the idea of the supply controls that you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. in the program, when you go beyond the pandemic, okay, say everything opens up again, we have universities and institutional buyers like we've always had. Are you going to support? Would you support? having supply controls or do you feel like that's too much intervention uh yeah so agrimark was one of the first um i think it was one of the first co-ops and now dfa is also doing it they're putting in a yearly quota and um this is how much milk you can make and it's going to kind of take a few years i think for us to finally feel like the positive effects of it right but then there's also the can we how can young farmers come on if you're not accepting any new members and there's a lot of other things that go into it and it's like well um our like farms creditors can say no you need to make more and the co-op saying no you can't make more you can't put on so there's oh so many different factors that play into the whole quota thing and do i think we needed it to kind of reel everything back in yes but is it the long-term solution i'm not sure it seems to have worked well for Canadian farmers. That's right. all I yes, can say. Yes, that's what I've always right? said. Come in here. I'm Who sorry. Are you? <laughs> I love the conversation sometimes. Well, come on in. <laughs> what's, what's your name? My name is Cynthia. I'm that's my mom. mom. Yes. Cynthia Laprise. <laughs> yes. How do you do, Cynthia? Nice to meet you. She's the one who didn't want to be a farmer and then got sucked back I in. I need to clarify that. I actually grew up on a farm, and that's what I dreamed of doing. Right. There was no place. Like, it was that thing where it's generation to generation to generation. It wasn't going to go to the daughter. No. So <laughs> I just, so I really did love farming. What I find interesting is as we started our own Come farm, I closer, learned, so I learned way more quality. than I ever thought I would learn. Right? Even though I grew up on a farm. Yeah. So that's what's the interesting part. I was kind of, you know, I flounce around, I feed them calves, <laughs> and I didn't, and I help them hay in the summer, and but I didn't get terribly involved in it because really my brother was going to take over that whole thing, and that was just the way it was. Right. So I went off and became a nurse, and uh-huh. then, but I married Scooter, who is a truck driver, he has a trucking business, but also has, like, all these big ambitions and made this farm. How wonderful. Yes, so. Boy, a glutton for punishment. Yes. <laughs> yes. Besides the fact that I she was mom to how many 4-H pretty... kids over the years. Yeah, yeah, yeah so right? Did you? Yeah. <laughs> awesome. It's all so awesome. Um, let's talk a little bit about consolidation in the dairy industry, because we were talking about how few processors there are. Yeah. 
And so how, how does that affect a smaller dairy farm? Because obviously you're not milking 50,000 cows. No. Um, <laughs> Right? So, you know, it's, um, it's going to have a different impact on you than it is, say, somebody out in Wisconsin or in Nebraska or something like that. What what's what do you think the implications of consolidation are for you? You only have the two processors, basically, that mm -hmm. you can work with. How If you could work with a more competitive uh, selection of processors, would that benefit you in, to any great degree, do you think? Actually, the Northeast, even though there, it's not dairy farm rich, we tend to have some of the highest, they're called mailbox prices. It's the average of what we make, um, every mm -hmm. farmer in their milk check. We talked the, a little bit about that on my post. The, yes. the mailbox price, because I tried to explain to people just how farmers get paid, because okay. the average consumer doesn't actually have any idea about, like, they think they're buying, when they go to the grocery store, they think they're buying that gallon of milk and that money literally is going to the farmer. Right. That's mm -hmm. They think that the $4 that they just spent on a gallon of milk or whatever it is, yeah. is, is, is going right into your pocket, when in yes. fact, what, what are <laughs> yes. you actually getting? What is your I think it's, uh, I think we get three cents to every gallon is like kind of what oh people have come God. up with. I think it's in that range. Yeah, I've yeah, seen some so graphics on Facebook. Jessica, do the math. 2,400 gallons of milk. Uh, no, 2,400 pounds. So a pint's a pound. Yeah, so, so a gallon, a gallon is four pounds. A gallon of milk is 8.6 pounds. So 2,400 divided by 8.6. So that's 279 gallons of milk. And then, so you're making 279 gallons of milk a day, uh, every other day. And then... Times that by the three cents. Times three cents. cents. $8.37. Jeez. <laughs> there we go. You shocked me so much I had to rip me, knock over the microphone. Wow. Hard okay. to stay in business with that kind of margin, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, let's take a quick break now for a sponsor drop, and then we'll be right back with Jessica Mayhew and uh, Maggie Laprise. Got that right. And even <laughs> Cynthia Laprise <laughs> offering her two cents from the That's peanut gallery over there. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned, we're going to talk more about dairy. This episode is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. A cherry isn't just a cherry. When it comes to tart cherries, the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry variety is the cherry with more. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries are also one of America's superfruit, which means they're good for you. Tart cherries contain many antioxidants and beneficial phytonutrients, including anthocyanins, the pigments that give tart cherries their beautiful red color. And don't forget about flavor. U.S. Montmorency's unique sour-sweet profile makes them an excellent addition to yogurt, oatmeal, salads, trail mix, and of course, a classic cherry pie. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry at ChooseCherries.com. So we are back. This is What Doesn't Kill You, Food Industry Insights. I'm Katie Kiefer, and uh, we're talking the dairy industry, if you're just tuning in, which I know you never do. I don't know why I bother to say that, because this is a podcast, and people just listen to the whole thing. But it's like, you know, you hear other radio programs doing that, so you just think, oh, I should do that, too. But really, I don't need to. Anyway, um, Alex, uh, sorry, Maggie, I talked to your sister mm -hmm. a few years ago about the Rody Fresh Co-op, because she was, at that time, running it. I guess she yeah. still is. Uh, is that right? No, we... or has it cycled off to somebody else now. So we have kind of 
Alex was basically, she did it all, but, like, her main job was she was in charge of the distribution, and we have since changed distributors, um, so she has gone and gotten another job now, but she still helps the farmer side of things with, like, um, dealing with some of their business on that end, but she doesn't have a full-time job with Roadie Fresh anymore. I see. But how how do you feel like the Roadie Fresh co-op has done? Like, has it... Has it succeeded in raising awareness of uh, Rhode Island dairy farms? Do you feel like consumers are more tuned in to buying local? Uh, yeah. To yes. ensure yes. that they buy Rhodey Fresh? I know I certainly am. Um, so it's it's been a good thing for you guys. You're still in the co-op, right? Yeah. Yes. yes. But the co-op has gone down from six to five, or is it five uh, to four? I think we have four, four now. Yeah. yeah. I remember hearing, like, right after I interviewed her, somebody else dropped out. Yeah. And I was like, ooh, that's got to be rugged. <laughs> What about what about uh, things like branching into you know added value products? Like you guys have a store here, um, that which was is our hope, that, that was we can make a little more, a little extra, this little farm going. right? And you sell a lot of Cabot Creamery products here. Yes. I know that, and a local ice cream manufacturer. Yep, Warwick ice cream. Warwick Warwick ice cream. cream. Right? I wish we had more of a connection with them as far as our milk, but still, it's good, like, it's a nice little thing. Where do they get yeah. there? They get their milk from Monroe, so it can be yeah, our milk. Could be okay. But they're not buying directly from Directly well, from us. Because you're not processing directly. You guys, you have to send it off to be processed right, by exactly. one of the other mm-hmm. uh, processors we talked about. What about things like, um, you know, businesses that would use more milk, like to make yogurt, to make cheese... Like, would you guys ever want to do that yourselves? Do you see farmers investing in a processing facility that might have I guess to help that? Um, so get that, we get, get, asked, we that get asked that a lot. There's a lot of red tape with the health department, kind sure. of. So the farm already is getting inspected numerous times a year, and now we have the farm stand, which gets inspected numerous sure. times a year. And I have a very good relationship with our health inspector, and I always kind of am like, so how can we have a processing plant here? And he basically tells me that it would be like a million to two million dollar project and here like we'd have to get new septic we'd have to um get a different like water processing system probably and there's just a huge long list of stuff we'd have to go through and it's kind of like so do we want to be paying that off for 30 years to maybe make a little extra money there's a lot of i know farms in connecticut it's a lot easier for them to put in a processing facility than here i have a friend right in north stonington who literally knocked down a wall in their barn extended it and their processing facilities right there Rhode island's not very business friendly to farming farming. if if you compare Rhode island to the rest of new england you'll find that Rhode island is probably the least friendly to farming and really? not just any, like, that's farming in general, not specifically dairy, but they're not farmer-friendly. And I think a lot of that stems back to the, there isn't as much understanding. Like, you're not, we have a senator here, we, like, we have Sue Sosnowski, you know, yes. she was a, she was a farmer. But you go to other states and you're talking, like, in Vermont, one of the people who's running for governor runs a farm. So yeah. that person in charge of the entire state could potentially, if they, if they get elected... They have, they're going to know what it takes to be a farmer and how to help them directly. But here, these you know, they're, they might know about something from reading a book, but they've never actually seen it, done it, dealt with it. They don't know, like, the, the literal impact, like, being able to add that processing or just being able to add that extra element. Right. So... 
So it's not, in other words, not a farm-friendly state. We are not a farm-friendly state. You know, I think that's to some farms we are. To some farms, yes. And this is, I feel like I am right in this, like, little area where I don't really fit in with farms, farmers in this state, because you have... Um, a lot of farmers who are my age are more into the um, growing microgreens and those sorts of things. It's not like They're animal not agriculture. Animal, yeah. We're getting a breeze through them. Me, I feel like I'm just in this small family farm and I'm not this big, huge um, no. processor or anything right. like that. So I don't know. I feel like there's... We're in the middle. We're, as people call dairy farmers the forgotten farms. I don't yes. know if you've seen that documentary or not. No, I haven't. Oh. Yep, and it... It features Louis Escobar, who's oh, one of right. the Brody Fresh farmers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, you know, dairy farming in, in New England, like, that's... It's quintessential New England. Yes. When people picture New England, they picture pastures, and they picture mountains, and they picture cows. That yes. is, you say farming in New England, that is the image we want, but we are forgotten. Like, people, yeah. they want to see it, but they don't necessarily want to have to deal with living next to that farm. They want to they wanna see it, but they don't want to actually have to deal with it. They don't like it when you spread manure on the fields and stuff no, like that. No, no, right? believe it or not, they don't. <laughs> so, I mean, we have to give credit. We've been well embraced in this. Yeah, community. this yeah. town well, has never... Neighbors. I mean, the people love that we're here. Yeah, so. well, that's great. Yeah, that was Cynthia, for those of you <laughs> donating her two cents. <laughs> I want you to be part of the convo. I mean, I don't think you should... Oh, look who's coming to say it. This beautiful doggy, who's like looks like what is he part mastiff, part yes. boxer? Ah, uh, not boxer, bull mastiff, English bulldog. Mix. Oh, she's oh. lovely, brindled too. <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit about. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Jessica's posts because I don't want to, I don't want to ignore what got me going <laughs> yep. again on this. Um, Jessica Mayhew, for those of you who follow on Facebook um, in this state, and I recommend following it actually, even if you're not, just to see Jessica's posts. Jessica has been posting for Dairy Month, the month of June. Every day she has posted something. Oh, damn. Sorry about that. Um, she has been posting something about the dairy industry, which has been absolutely wonderful. How many people are following those posts, Jessica? Oh, goodness. I it's mean, on the South Kingstown town page. Um, I would say on average there's probably at least 100 people who look at them a day. Yeah. And then anywhere from, like, five comments to like the one like depending on how controversial the topic is like some will have one to two comments and other ones like when we talked about raw milk in the state of Rhode Island yeah. that one got a lot of traction because people had no idea that we it's illegal here and they were wanting to know why I had one lady comment do we need to go and protest at the dairy processing plants and I'm like please don't do that yeah we want to support <laughs> yeah. we want to let them do their job yeah. We want the milk trucks to keep rolling. Please don't do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, I am not a fan of raw milk myself. So, I mean, I know that people say that it has all sorts of magical properties, but there's a reason why milk is pasteurized. Which is all in that post because yeah. of all the lovely, friend, the lovely the bacteria. The lovely, friendly bacteria. Yeah, that yes. could kill someone if yes, they're not careful. Exactly. I've never bought into the raw milk fat, but I know many people who have, mm-hmm. and I... Just saying, it's a it's a great vector for foodborne illness. If you ever read a food um, food poison journal, I think you know Bill Marler. Have you heard of Bill Marler, Marler and Clark, who does all the foodborne illness litigation, and um, he has had a lot of uh, statistics out about raw milk and and as a vector for disease, and it definitely put me off big time. 
even if I wanted to do it in the beginning. Do you want to come in? Um, let's talk a little bit more about the post. What what made you want to uh, prompt? What prompted you uh, to do that? So I grew up in South Kingstown. I'm about as South Kingstown as you get. My family had our farm there for. Well, we still own the farm, so it's 120 years as of uh, next Saturday, because it'll be July 4th. Wow. Um, yep, 120 years on July 4th. Um, there's a whole story about why it was bought on July 4th, but we're not going to get into that. But okay. I grew I went through the, <laughs> I went through the South Kingstown school system, and I wasn't supported with my agricultural choices. Um, really? I was basically, the one time when the high school got an ag class, I was told by the teacher, don't show up because you're just going to get an A anyway. And that was really disheartening. I watched a lot of other kids who graduated from South Kingstown who wanted to do amazing things in the ag industry, but because we went through the South Kingstown school system, there was minimal support, and it was just... I remember a teacher asking me, why are, why are you missing school to go show cows? And I'm like, why are athletes allowed to miss school to go to sporting events? Yeah, right. I, get I don't get a college scholarship from sports, but I can get one for showing my cows, and I yeah. can get national recognition for showing my cows which is a lot farther than most of the athletes I went to high school with yeah, right. have gotten. So <laughs> let me do my thing. And yeah. it's very disheartening to me because I, so many people just don't know about the dairy industry. Yes. And I wanted, and I follow this lady on Facebook. Her name is Dairy Carrie, and she's a dairy farmer out in Wisconsin, right? And oh, she, I should look her up. I don't know She's her. great. And she does posts all the time just to inform people because she mm -hmm. wanted to just get people knowledgeable. The average Americans three to four generations removed from agriculture. So oh, you're yeah. talking almost a hundred years of people not knowing That's right. where their food comes from. Right. And I, I'm raising my kids to know exactly where their food's coming from. They know the names of their cows. Yeah. They, cut. They know the names of their cows. They know where our chicken eggs come from. And I wanted to change that statistic. I wanted to try and paint dairy in a positive light because I grew up dairy. Dairy life is the best life. <laughs> shirt. Jessica is wearing a shirt saying dairy life is the best life. <laughs> because I, I made, through 4-H and through being in the dairy industry, I've made friends that across the country, and yeah. they are some of the closest friends I'll ever have. Yeah. And I just wanted to improve the public image of dairy because so many people think dairy is evil, and it's not. The majority dairy is, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it, ha it has gotten a bad rap. I mean, it has. And we got to change mean, it's, it. It's really, uh, but you know, farming in general is, is, it's kind of interesting the way the public views it. It's like on the one hand, they want the bucolic idea. Yes. And then on the other hand, they're horrified at the idea that you actually are exploiting these animals. Um, you are milking them or you're killing them. Mm -hmm. And they, are happy to consume those products as long as they come in a sanitized tray and, with a plastic wrap and they, and they don't have to think yeah. about where it comes from. They don't want to have to put the late, they don't want to, yeah. whereas I want that connection. I want to know that my deal was raised properly. Thank you, Maggie. Right. I want to know that my cows were treated humanely. Yes, So absolutely. by getting involved and by getting to see the process in person and getting in the thick of it, I can feel better about my food choices. I don't want to be oblivious to where my food comes from. Right. And that's something I think people should work on. And we want don't be oblivious yes. to your food choices. Make the conscientious choice of like I want to know my food's coming from somewhere where it was raised ethically, uh, lo humanely loved and treated that way from that's the beginning right. of their life until the very end of their lives. Well, as Paul Willis, do you know Nyman Ranch? Have you ever heard of Nyman Ranch pork? So Paul Willis is a farmer out in Iowa. I know Paul. I've met him many many times. 
And um, what he likes to say is, uh, this is, a, you know, the, the worst day of their life is their last day. Mm -hmm. They have a great life from the beginning until the very last day when they go into the knockbox or whatever it is. So um, that is what, that's the goal, right, for yeah. animal agriculture. And, you know, of course, you want your dairy cattle to be happy and yours look amazing. <laughs> I'm watching them. I'm actually looking. We have, we're, like, surrounded oh, yeah. by barns. Man loves playing with her tongue. barns and some beautiful Holsteins. Some beautiful uh, um, jerseys. And actually, so some ash ears that came from Jess's family's farm. Oh, is that right? Um, yeah. It's, it's your cousin, uncle. Which one? Craig? Craig. So my grandpa got started in the 50s. Uh, so my grandfather was raised on the farm. And when he was a kid, they had purebred cows, but they had a variety of cows. And when my grandfather took over in the 50s, he said, he basically essentially got rid of everybody but ash ears. Uh -huh. And they're the beautiful red and white cows. They come from um, Scotland. And he wanted to focus solely on breeding them. And his genetics have became so sought after that they were referred to as the Cottrell kind. And my uh -huh. grandfather's dairy genetics are from New England to California. And when people think of ash ears, that's a breed they think New England because we have so many quality cows here. Yeah. That's something that's really interesting about the Rhode Island dairy industry. We are small, but people come here because we have good cows. Right. Yeah. And they pay good money for our cows. For your genetics. Because yeah. we have top quality genetics. So we are small, but we are mighty. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Just like the great state of Little Rhode yes. itself. I love that. That's a beautiful thing. I, I have one more question for you ladies, and Cynthia, I hope you'll weigh in on this too. Uh, if you could tell the government uh, what you need to survive and thrive, what would you, what would be your message? Mommy? Fair price for what Fair prices for milk. So that implies... So that, that implies that we can make milk and be able to do it without losing money. Right. Yeah. Right. We're so that... We just don't want to go We just don't want to go under. Yeah, right. Just fair prices. I don't fair know if can help with that or not. Well, they can help by, by breaking up the monopolies. You know, if they if they get serious about uh, these antitrust suits that are starting to proliferate in the court system, uh, then you might see some relief in terms of fair prices because you'll have more competition for your milk, and uh, theoretically that will help you boost the prices and stabilize your prices, which I think is kind of the goal, right? Because you've got to know how much money you're going to make every year. You and can't just guess that yeah. milk prices are going to be, you know, $15. It's not. That's not even the price of production, right? Like, you need to make at least 23 or $24 yes. a hundredweight, just right? To that's just to break even. Just to break even. That's yeah. not even to... Right. And then you got to think about it. Like, these are... We're talking about families here. Kids need to eat. Kids need shoes. Sure. Kids need clothing. And Absolutely. that breaking even is just paying for the farm. That's not paying for the family to, you know... That's right. why you find so many family, farm families. You'll at least one... Or somebody's both, working somebody's off farm. Somebody's working off farm. <laughs> yeah. Whether it's for insurance, whether it's whatever reason somebody's working off the farm because right. you need you can't you can't rely on the milk check to pay for everything anymore and once upon a time you could right when you were little yeah right when you need your kid like it's so fair prices breaking up monopolies what about government more government uh, support either through legislation, like making it easier, for instance, to, for you to build a processing plant. Like, if yeah. you wanted to build a processing plant here, uh, you certainly got the space. 
Uh, and if you could get Rhode Island to you know, ease up on some of its red tape, mm -hmm. then you could be in the business of making soft cheeses, yogurt, yogurt ice cream, stuff mm -hmm. like that. And that would have an impact, right? Yes. So th that's really the goal here, mm -hmm. is to find a way to make processing easier. Okay, one last question, I promise. <laughs> Who, is there anyone in the Rhode Island state government that actually is paying attention to the needs of farmers on a, as a full-time job? Well, we technically have our Secretary of Agriculture, Ken Ayers. Yes, yeah. I've met Ken. Yep. Um, but I guess that's his job. That, yeah. uh, the DEM has run a lot of different like pro programs of trying to get awareness of Rhode Island agriculture out there. So like you'll see Facebook, um, like. Like stuff. They, they, they like their Facebook activities are like, oh, take your kids here, there, and everywhere to yeah. go like berry picking and stuff. Yeah. But again, that's for like fruit and vegetable production. You're not. Right. There's not much in terms of like the animal agricultural aspect. And right. We have roadie. We have roadie fresh, and we have things like roadie wool. But most people don't know that there's roadie wool. Right. And there's roadie eggs. There's roadie eggs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And isn't there roadie beef too? Oh well, uh, no! Island. There's a association you can be a part of that yeah. just makes kind of the being an animal agri like production yeah. easier. Like it's a networking, basically. Mm. Interesting. Well, Jessica Mayhew and Maggie Laprise and Cynthia. <laughs> Cynthia is now waiting on customers in the store. We're sitting out in the front porch of this adorable <laughs> store. Um, this has been so interesting. I hope we can talk again sometime. Thank you so much for joining me today. What Doesn't Kill You is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.